0: Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we will be discussing The Minority Report, the short story by Philip K. Dick, and also Minority Report, the 2002 movie. history in reverse my name is caroline i'm here with my father richie hello and today we're discussing the short story minority report and also the 2002 movie minority report so i think dad the way we're going to do this right is that we're going to talk first about the short story since it's it's quite short and then sort of compare it to the movie right
1: right so one thing we should say is that this is the first time we are dipping into philip k dick is it in the podcast yes Oh, okay. And I, I know you've read a bunch of uh, Philip K. Dick, and I really love your impression, a uh, description of what Philip K. Dick's stories or books are,
0: mm-hmm. where
1: he, you know, he pulls the rug from under you, then the floor, and then the house.
0: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I forget which story did we read? A story for the science fiction book discussion group that that was what I, what I described it as, but I, I can't think, remember.
1: I think that was "Flow My Tears, the Policeman." Said. Yes,
0: yes. That one. I, that was a wild ride with Philip K. Dick. <laughs> Uh, but I, I enjoy his stories. So why don't yeah. you talk a little bit about him and Minority Report, uh, the short story, before we jump into the plot.
1: Right. So Philip K. Dick uh, was a science fiction writer. He was born in 1928. He didn't live very long. He died in 1982. He was married, uh, I said 56 times, no, it was, I think he was married six times. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about that in the
0: Google doc, I was like, 56, that's a lot. <laughs>
1: He published a lot of short stories in um, the various science fiction pulp magazines. He actually wrote four, 44 novels and 121 short stories. He's probably the most widely adopted science fiction writer into the movies. A lot of his stories have been turned into the movies as at least 10,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: think. Uh, Blade Runner is probably the one that's fa- most famous and maybe we'll do that some other time. The other interesting thing about Philip K. Dick, just to relate it to Stanislav Lem,
0: Oh, of course. <laughs> it always comes back to Lem, yes. <laughs> uh,
1: Lem actually wrote a book of essay. I have a book of essays where he's criticizing uh, science fiction in the West. And basically sets he he has a st- uh, one of his crit- criticisms says, you know, all of the science fiction in the West is trash, except this one guy, Philip K. Dick has some good ideas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's, that's really funny. I mean, they have sort of similar approaches in terms of like, you know, here I've thought of something interesting. I, right. th- I have one interesting idea. Let me see what happens when that plays out. Right. And I, th- I think that's what Minority Report is like um, as well, right. which is what I like about the story and what I don't like about the movie. This might shock <laughs> you, listeners and father, that I read the story first and then watched the movie and I didn't like the adaptation <laughs> of the story. <laughs> so
1: Okay. So let's, let's start. Let's, let's. Yeah. uh, My My narrative report was written in 1956. so it's quite, quite a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And let's see, do you want to just describe the setting?
0: Yeah. So we don't know too much about the setting in the short story. Um, One of the things about the short story is that it's quite short. You probably could read it in less time than the movie ran. The movie's like two and a half hours. The story probably takes like an hour and a half to read, uh, which is good because it's nice and it's a good size, good chunk of the story. So I don't think this story identifies exactly where it is, but it's sometime in the slightly near future after some kind of war sort of apocalypse situation. It's somewhere in the United States. So it's like a United States post war of some kind during this war, the military had quite a bit of power. And that issue comes up throughout the fact that the military since the war has ceded power to other parts of the government. There's a sort of tension um, among those parties. So we are introduced to our main character right off the bat, John Anderton, who is in the short story is the commissioner of the police.
1: Of the commissioner of the police, of the pre-crime unit. Right. Right. So what is the pre-crime unit?
0: Well, pre-crime is our one science fiction idea we have in the story, which drives the whole story. And it's that there are, there's a system to predict Crime that is going to occur, and so what the police do now is that they predict the crime, and instead of letting it happen, they go and arrest people before they commit the crimes.
1: Right. So the the just just to be clear, the system is based on these guy these these humans called precogs. Yes. Right. Who precog meaning precognition? Right. So they can see the future, mm-hmm. and they're kind of strange mutations, and they have three precogs somewhere inside the police station and they kind of read what they predict. And what happens is they have some machinery that, that converts those predictions into a card that gets printed out Yes, <laughs> with, with the name of the, of the criminal and the name of the victim. <laughs>
0: yes. And it's, it's, it's unclear in the story. Is it just murders that they predict? I thought they predicted all crime. In it's the story. unclear.
1: They don't, I don't think they'll say it's just murder. They don't
0: really go into it Yeah. I mean, the, the story focuses around them predicting a particular murder. But they, the concept is that they predict murders, they go and arrest the people, and they imprison them. They put them in camps uh, yeah. as if they had committed the crime. And yeah. the story tells us, the text tells us that this has been going on uh, how long in the story? In the, in the movie, it's recent. In the story, it's been like decades that they've been doing it.
1: I don't think it's been decades because John Enderton was the founder of pre-crime in the story. So... I guess he's close to retirement. So yeah,
0: it's been a few decades in the story, and he talks about the last time there was a murder was five years before, which was a was a murder that was predicted, but they just didn't catch the person in time. Right. But basically, it's led to almost zero crime. So the crime rate in this fictional future America portion or portion of America is almost zero. Right. And so it's had a very high deterring effect and has reduced crime. And so everyone thinks pre-crime is
1: great. So as the story begins, this young, young whippersnapper comes into the office to meet John Anderson. His name is Ed Witwer
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the story. And um, basically the impression that you get is that, you know, what what John thinks is that he's there to after his job. He wants him to retire and take mm-hmm. his job over. And the guy is kind of just this young whippersnapper who just says, well, you know, I just want to follow you around, see what you do, want to understand how the what the job is, etc., cetera, et cetera. And Exactly,
0: and so and while Whitmore is there being walked around, John brings him to meet the precogs, and we get our nice science fiction exposition dump where the author explains to the character what this how the story works. Right, right. <laughs> and it actually, it was pretty. It was like pretty well done. I don't think it was right. You know, nobody sat down and read a book this time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess technically they did talk to an old man because they talked to John. Well, <laughs> so uh, John explains, but what I like about the story and it kind of sets up the ultimate reveal is that they explain why there are three precogs. So do you remember yeah. their explanation for why there are no, three precogs? No, no. So the idea is that each precog is like a computer. They figure out the, you know, they calculate the future. And so you have the first computer. You can't rely on just one. You need a second one to check the first one. But the second one could be wrong, too. So you need a third one. And then if you put three supercomputers together, certainly two out of three of them will get it right. right. And that's how they can reliably use the precog system and create precrime. So there needs to be three. They need to work as a unit. Right. And um, I forget the names of the precogs in the story. It's like Donna, Jerry, and I forget the third one. Yeah, yeah um, I forgot doesn't super matter. They're named, but it's not, it's not particularly relevant. So while John is showing Whitworth, the yeah. the new o- you know, operations. The yeah. yeah, you know, they the, the precogs get a brainwave, and they have a prediction. And a card is printed <laughs> in this magical futuristic place that prints a physical paper card. And the card has the name.
1: Well, John picks it up to take a look at it and sees yeah. that the, the, the murderer is him. And so he just pockets the card quickly so that nobody else sees it. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: he's kind of a little bit upset, but he, he, I guess, completes the, the show and tell and and then goes back. And then somehow his wife winds up visiting him in the office. Right. So
0: she works there. Yeah. She's a police officer. Okay. Yeah. And she's a, she's younger. Trophy wife. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she's a police officer and she, um, she like notices that he's like looking weird or whatever, and I think he talks to her right. about it right away, and he shows her the card.
1: And he's having some some he's somehow jealous of Whitwer. He says maybe he's not only be you know uh, he says somebody's trying to set me up, maybe to get me out of here. So maybe mm-hmm. Whitwer is trying have it has having an affair with my wife, mm-hmm. and he's trying to you know say that I'm going to kill him or something. So she show he shows her the card, and she says. Wait a second. The person on the card, who's this? It's not me. It's not Whitware. It's some, some, some person. I forgot. The, I didn't write the name down.
0: Kaplan, I think was the last name. Kaplan.
1: Yeah. Le- Leopold Kaplan. Yeah. I don't know any Leopold Kaplan. Who's that?
0: Mm-hmm. So, this card that the precogs generated says that that John Anderton is going to kill this guy, Kaplan. He doesn't even know him. It, you know, he's like, he's thinking, certainly I'm being set up. This is some kind of ploy.
1: So he, uh, says, well, I better just get out of here and, and go hide someplace until I can sort this out.
0: Right, right. because the, the concept is the the card not only says that there's going to be a murder, but it says when it's going to happen. Right. So he's thinking, you know, if he can avoid it, he can prove he's innocent, right? He's thinking he set up, this is a fake card. Someone has done something to the system. If he just doesn't murder the person, then he can prove that he's really innocent and this has been a ploy.
1: At this point, story did they mention Minority Report yet or not yet?
0: No, they get to the Minority Report later. So he goes back to his apartment, whatever. The next important thing is he encounters um, Fleming.
1: Right. So basically, he's trying to pack to kind of disappear for a while. And while he's packing, what seems like policemen come into his, his, his apartment and, mm-hmm. and, and they said, oh, my God, you're really fast, aren't you? And mm-hmm. he says, no, 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 we, we're not the police. We are the something else. And Fleming is like the agent. Mm-hmm. Right. And they take him out of the city to meet who?
0: Kaplan. The Leopold Kaplan. <laughs> the man he's supposed to kill. They're like, let's introduce you. <laughs> and Leopold uh, Kaplan turns out to be like a, a veteran. Like he's like a... Retired military something? Retired
1: general, retired general who, who was yeah. like the big leader of, of the whatever coalition fought uh, in the war. And he's probably interested in getting back into power. He seems to be interested in discrediting the police. He thinks the police have too much power. And he would prefer if the police was discredited. Right.
0: right. And so, he obviously does not want to be murdered. So right. he does not want this report to be accurate.
1: And I think, right, so he says what he wants to show is that report comes out and uh, it doesn't. the crime does not happen, therefore, you know, pre-crime
0: is bad. Right, exactly. That it's not an infallible, perfect system.
1: Therefore, um, police is bad. Therefore, you should really go to, the, the military should take over and etc.
0: Exactly. And by this time, also, people are starting to look for Anderton because the minority report within the story setting is, or rather the, the report, the pre cop report is printed not only at the police headquarters, but there's a duplicate printed right. at some kind yeah. of distant military base.
1: Oh, right, right, right. So the military yeah. knows exactly what, what, what's right.
0: It. So yeah. at this point, now he's, be, now Anderton's being hunted. Now they're trying to find him.
1: So the Kaplan says, look, I don't care what happens to you, send him, bring him back to the city. So they put him in a car to drive him back to the city. And what happens on his drive back?
0: There's this mysterious car crash that happens. So his the car he's in crashes into like a bread truck, I think it is. Right. And he is rescued from the crash by the agent Fleming, who right. pulls him into an alleyway, gives him a new identity. I think Fleming is the first one that mentions that there, the existence of a, a minority report. Right.
1: So explain what what the minor report is.
0: So I'm not sure if they get into the full thing here, but eventually they explain that the the majority report is what the precogs ultimately agree on is the future. But that doesn't mean all three of them agree. Sometimes all three of them do, but sometimes two of them agree and that becomes the future that they print. But there's a third report. There's a third vision of the future that's different. Right. And, Sometimes it's different in minor ways. Sometimes it's different in major ways. The fact that a minority report could exist could show, could exonerate someone, mm-hmm. right? If, some, if the majority report says you're going to murder, but the minority report says you're not going to murder, you know, who's to say which one really is correct? Right. So uh, that's, and Fleming kind of introduces that idea that if there's a majority report, that implies there must be a minority report. Right. And that's where we get the title of the story we're reading. Yay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he, he gives him new identity, new money. He, he escapes from the accident scene and goes to hide, hide out in the, like the bad side of town. Mm-hmm. So then he plans to sneak in into the police mm-hmm. station and retrieve the minority, minority report. And right.
0: Because he's convinced that there this is some kind of setup and there must be other reports and uh, must be differences in the precogs so he works with uh, someone he knows on the inside uh wally page i think right. is the name of the character right. who helps him get back into the room with the precogs and he goes through the tapes that the precogs make
1: <laughs> right he, ma- he makes a copy i think of the report right
0: yeah he yeah. finds like the section of the, the text that describes like finding this section of tape and, and making a copy. And it's just like very strange to think about with the printing cards and tapes and things like that. So he makes a copy yeah. of it. And in the minority report that he, that he identifies, he um, does not kill Kaplan. He if I, is informed about basically the, the, so the first report was John Anderton kills Leopold Kaplan. The second report is slightly out of phase. The minority report is slightly out of phase and includes the fact that John Anderton learned about the first report. Right. And now having known about the first report has decided not to kill Leopold. Right. Right. So that's the report that he gets that he thinks is the minority report. And then he skedaddles out of there with his wife.
1: Well, no, there's this whole thing where the the army wants to reveal the minor reports to the discredit pre-crime right and right. they going to have some kind of like a, a rally or something or a, a new press conference i guess where they're going to announce this and he he shows up john anton shows up there right
0: mm-hmm.
1: at, at the rally and of course leopold uh, uh, knows that you know he's not going to kill him so he invites him up on the dais where he's mm-hmm. going to do the big reveal Mm -hmm. saying, you know, you see, pre-crime is bad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because, look, here's a crime that was predicted but didn't happen. He's an innocent man who was going to be arrested
0: and put in jail. Exactly. And that's because Kaplan has that second report that he thinks is a minority report that says he's not going to get killed. So he's not worried about having John Anderton on the dais with him. Right. But But it turns out...
1: So John Anderton was the founder of pre-crime, he wants to pre-crime to continue, even if he knows he cannot be the leader of it. So he pulls out a gun
0: mm-hmm. and he kills
1: Leopold Kaplan.
0: <laughs> yes. And so he, So what ends up happening is there's a third report that is yet again different from the other two. So report one was John Enderton kills Leopold Kaplan. Report two was John Anderton does not kill Leopold Kaplan because he learns about report, report one. Report three was John Anderson decides again to kill Leopold Kaplan after learning about the first two reports to preserve pre-crime. Right. <laughs> so at the end, he does fulfill two out of the three reports say right. is going to happen. So he does fulfill the majority report in that sense. They were correct.
1: So he saves pre-crime, but because he's a murderer, he, he gets to... Rather than going to jail, he's exiled. So in right. and, and this world, you can get exiled to outer planets. So he and his wife hop into a spaceship. You know, they, they have a truck that packs all the stuff and they go to the spaceport, hop on a spaceship, you know, Delta spaceship or something and yeah. <laughs> and and fly off. And yeah. Witwer is the one who's going to lead pre-crime afterwards.
0: Right. And, and, that's and so... Him. Yeah, so it turns out that it was not a conspiracy. The precogs were producing real cards. It was, it was not a big conspiracy among anybody. But it also kind of turns out that all three cards were minority reports because all three were different.
1: Well, the minority report was just when there were, the precogs predicted, three of them predict, two predicted something, and the and third one predicted something different. So the first but, but they report, all, pred,
0: But they all predicted something different. So in that case, for John Anderton, those were all minority reports, which is why I think the story is called Minority Report, because it's the whole thing's minority report. So and kind of the interesting bit about that is the implication that if you tell someone, you know, this was unique to Anderton because he had access to those reports. Normally, people who were going to be committing crimes wouldn't have access to know they were going to do a crime in the future. Right. So the implication in the short story is that if you tell someone, Hey, you're going to kill this person, you could probably stop them from doing it just by telling them as opposed to locking them up, but you know, potentially and potentially change their futures. You know, it's a, it's an interesting concept in terms of how pre-crime is used in the story to actually control crime and murders um, and other ways it could be used. So ultimately in the in the short story, pre-crime survives and John Anderton sacrifices his own freedom to save pre-crime. And pre-crime turns out to be right, because he did kill he did kill Kaplan.
1: Right, that was the point. Yeah. All right. So before we get into the the philosophical implications of all of this, uh let's talk about the movie.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. So the movie. So so my listeners know I I like to read the things that we podcast about or watch the things shortly before we podcast, so it's fresh in my brain. So I just watched the movie and I finished it like an hour ago. I did not know this movie was two and a half hours long. <laughs> I thought this was gonna be like an hour and a half fun romp, but it was not.
1: <laughs> it was a little bit too long. I thought to it was
0: easily an hour too long. It, was, it easily could have been cut by an hour. There were scenes I watched that I was like, why is this here? You know, it wasn't all bad though. It wasn't wasn't all bad. Some yeah. of it was bad.
1: As as science fiction movies go, it was okay. So the, the setting in this movie was the pre-crime is an experiment being run in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. right? It's been run for a little while, I guess. And John Anderton is not the commissioner or the founder, but he's just like a pretty important uh, person in pre-crime who kind of communicates with the precogs and, and stuff. And it's interesting how they explain how this stuff works because the opening of the movie is is basically there's somebody who's going to commit a crime, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and they show you how the person... Who's about to like kill his wife and her, his and her lover is acting versus what John Underton is seeing in his, his precog machine,
0: right? Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, the the I think a lot of the visual storytelling in the movie was done really well, which again begs the question: why it was so long? Because they were able to communicate these ideas much faster than reading it in the story. But yeah, it's like you watch the precogs in the movie are kind of the precogs and the story are sort of like deformed, right? They're like. Kind of described as being sort of like ugly, deformed humans that are barely conscious, kind of thing. Right. Like, you know, and it's kind of an implication that they're sort of being abused in that sense. The precogs in the movie are nicer looking, um, and they're basically in a bath. So it's like people. It's like well, they're, they're like
1: drugged, uh, kind of. Yeah, drugged. they're like what kind of
0: it. chilling in a float tub. They like you know hanging out, and they have like wires on their heads and stuff. And so what they what they Predict shows up on screen as video, so it's like their visions are being the, projected. The
1: images, right, right. Yeah,
0: and yeah. Anderton, uh, John Anderton, who's played by Tom Cruise, um, is able to kind of go through those images.
1: So it's kind of funny because if you see saw so when he was kind of waving his hands, moving the images around, mm-hmm. he was wearing these specialized gloves. Mm-hmm. This, this was technology back in a while. I guess it's probably still around, but it's called like a data glove where you know, you needed to put a glove on so that the computer could sense where your hand was You know, these mm-hmm. days, you know, like if you, you watch star Trek, where they have all these holograms that just wave their hands on the holograms and everything moves. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, today you can, you can almost do that because there are cameras that can detect and analyze the motion of your hands and, and act accordingly. You don't need data gloves anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to see what kind of tech they were imagining in 2002.
1: What do they have instead of cards?
0: (laughs) They have very high-tech cue balls. Uh, They have like little... So they have this like... I don't know who made this machine. It's like a little machine that takes a piece of wood and depending on whether it's like a crime of passion, which is going to be like a red ball or like a regular premeditated murder, which... I hate to tell you this, but premeditated murders can also happen very quickly. Like you can premeditate something and do it like five minutes later. So I don't really know why the distinction is important, but they have red balls for passionate crime and regular wood color balls for not passionate murder. And they like get carved by a little machine with the, and the person's, the victim's name gets carved in one and the perpetrator's name gets carved in the other. And then they go down these like spirally slides and come out the bottom like some kind of like arcade game it's very strange <laughs>
1: right I, I have no idea that that just made no sense whatsoever
0: it was i was like all right it's creative it's better than a card popping out but yeah it was it was an interesting way to do it
1: but um, the thing in here they knew what time the thing would happen i don't know how they knew that it wasn't clear but they did not know the location of the all the so part of the trick i guess of looking at the images that were being projected is figuring out where right. like, the thing was happening and then
0: and then like jumping in like a swat team on it you know the, right, there's a lot yeah. more action movie elements to yeah. the action movie that they made out of minority <laughs> report so so yeah it's the visual storytelling is really interesting and kind of the same thing happens in the beginning john anderton's working and wet were shows up and is all you know Young right. So, therefore, in the
1: in the and the movie, he's a young, pompous guy, but he's there from Justice Department to right. review. So, so, they say that pre-crime is an experimental system that evaluating whether this should be used. And, and you know, clearly, the murders number of murders just completely went to zero since pre-crime was in place. Mm-hmm. But they still want to, you know, the usual government uh, nosies, yeah, the, it's, busybodies. It's...
0: It's kind of a silly, I mean, honestly, it's kind of a silly premise that, like, a system that so far has apparently had 100% efficacy is being questioned. Like, it's, it's first of all, it's strange for us, any kind of science to be 100%, right? Every legitimate science has an error rate. That's just how science is.
1: So, Well, yeah, but the error rate could be not in the, in, in the direction of putting innocent people in jail so you include all the murderers and also some extra people right so then there's no murders so
0: yeah i mean i i just think it's 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 a little too perfect and like the in the movie they've been doing this for like five or six years now so it's like it's been going on for a long time for like other states not to have noticed and like copied it already because like states copy each other well no i think that
1: that's part of the story is that they there's going to be some kind of referendum or mm-hmm. bills in Congress where they want to go national with the system, right? So right. that's why they're being reviewed by the Justice Department.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: while this guy is reviewing him, ta-da, a ball drops with John Anderton's name as as the murderer, and who's the victim? Leroy, somebody?
0: Leo Crow.
1: Leo Crow, right?
0: I wonder if that's a joke or something because the guys, the victim's name in the original was Leopold Kaplan. So I don't know if Leo Crow has some relation i don't know i couldn't unpack they changed some of the names in this in the movie i I couldn't i couldn't wrap my head around why so yeah so the ball comes out and uh john grabs it and he's like it's all good don't look at this Uh, go get me a
1: sandwich (laughs) yeah he likes he
0: like literally sentences the person working like you go get him like cake or something and um oh they have
1: they have the judges also, which they don't. Oh, I room. love
0: the judges. So they have, um, as they're watching the precog come in, they have to like, I guess they're getting like a warrant approved to go arrest somebody. Right, you're
1: saying, yeah.
0: And they have the judges appear on screen, which is just basically like they're zooming in the judges.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which i like, this is fantastic. This is how we do it now. We do zoom in the judges. <laughs> so, so I thought that was, that was great. Thank you, 2002. So... Anderton gets the ball. He sees that it's it's him. He gets the name. He's like, I don't know who this person is. And he's like, you know, I got to get out of here. But he's seen by Wally Page, who works with the precogs and is physically in with the precogs. And Wally Page sees the video as well. Right. So Wally Page says to him, you know, you've always been kind to me. I'll give you two minutes before right. I like hit the alarm. And so he gets going. And then we have this like long drawn out like car action scene. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know. I mean, the cars look cool. Someone did a really nice job designing.
1: Yeah, so they, cars. Had, they had all these future cars and 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 going up and down and 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 stuff. The there's this one scene when he, his car is found right, on on the highway, and they're, they're all self driving cars, so they can be controlled from outside. There's no steering wheels or anything. So they, discover his car. And they stop it and they're going, I think he was calling, who did he call? He called uh, Burgess, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Lamar Burgess, who was the founder of, of pre, pre-crime. Right. Right. And he, he was telling him what's going on. And he says, somebody's trying to set me up. And I don't know who this other person is. So he gets out of his car because the car is going to go back to the police station. And he jumps on top of the other car. And then they have this long vertical wall when mm-hmm. the car drops and it, it goes on for like the cars are going down really fast and he's jumping from one car to the next that wall would have to be like a couple of miles high for mm-hmm. that thing to take that long <laughs>
0: <laughs> i was just watching that and i was like what is it, it became like a platformer game all of a sudden the, right like, right it's like like i'm like we don't need it like we don't need it
1: it's like donkey kong or something yeah I'm like. we got it
0: <laughs> like it's a cool science fiction idea don't ruin it with with jumping across cars, like we're good. But yeah, um, then he
1: kind of got the bad section of town and the police were after him and and,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: yada, yada, yada. And eventually he oh yeah does the whole sequence in the car-making factory.
0: Oh, my God, yes. Oh, so this is something I put in my notes, which I call the serendipity button, which you, you put question marks next to.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> so I'll explain the serendipity button. So, ser- I mean, the, the definition of the word serendipity is the occurrence and development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way and the serendipity button in movies and media is when something something just happened that saves your hero and like but for that serendipity button everything would have been terrible so when he's getting like cornered by the police this happens throughout all the fight sequences there's constantly like A machine happens to come down at the right point that he jumps onto, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. And there's, like, a point where he's being cornered by the police in an alley and he's got no way out. They have him pressed against a wall. And that wall happens to have, like, a window on it into somebody's house. And somebody's dog just, like, jumps up at the window and, like, spooks everybody. And in that second, he's able to, like, grab their weapons and escape. And I'm like, he pressed the serendipity button. Thank you, random strange dog that jumped up (laughs) into the window. (laughs) And then, like, what would you have done? But for that die, you would have been captured by the police, and we wouldn't That's have right. the rest of the movie. So that it's it's very difficult, particularly I think in action sequences, to make all of the fighting and stuff intentional and to not have just like serendipity happen. A, a good example of lots of serendipity buttons is all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies constantly. Like Jack yeah, Sparrow yeah. just happens to do whatever. A good example of not the serendipity button is the end of the movie when he has um, Agatha with him and she's predicting, she's telling him what to do right. as they're escaping because she's able to actually predict what's right. going on. That's like a nice plot way to do that as opposed to just right. like happenstance. So anyway, yeah, so there's this like fight in the car factory that's just like, they fight and they're like fighting on a machine that's like building a car and he gets like, John gets like trapped in and it's like Whitworth is <laughs> fighting him, like Whitworth's there fighting him. And John yeah. gets like trapped inside this car that's being built, and it like finishes going down the conveyor belt. And at the end, the car is built, and who's inside? John Anderton. What does he do? He drives away. <laughs> 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 who who came up with this? And who said yes? Let's film that. Like,
1: <laughs> well, the special effects guys. At which point do you, do they talk? I guess uh, there's this part where he's in his uh, apartment. And he looks at uh, pictures of his son, and you find out about his uh, son.
0: That's throughout the movie, yeah. So we learn that John Anderton has a very special reason for not liking murder, because I guess you need a personal reason to not like murder. Uh, Do you want to explain?
1: Right, so apparently his son has been kidnapped, presumed killed. And uh, that led to him getting into pre-crime and also divorcing his wife because of the trauma and all that stuff. It's kind of funny because just today, uh, I had recently resubscribed to the New Yorker magazine because I'm trying to read some longer form articles. And they have an article there about the hero's trauma as a trope in, in today's literature and movies. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just an example, right? So this mm-hmm. this, this, this this past trauma that, that he suffered that explains why he's doing what he's doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is a difference from the, from the book, from the source material that I think detracts from the character of John Anderton. Because, like, what, what, what's wrong with John Anderton just wanting to be someone who stops crime?
1: Right. Stopping right.
0: crime is a good enough motivation. Like, not wanting murders is a solid motivation that I hope most people have.
1: Yeah, you know? I think so. You should read the article. I put the link in our notes.
0: So, he has this tragic backstory about his son and... You know, it's generic. It's like it, it's like his son was like snatched at like a public pool or something, and right, they didn't and find him again. Whatever. Yeah.
1: The other part, and at this point in the story, when he runs away, we, we we find out that the way you can they can find him is that there's all these ice scanners all all throughout the city, so they can scan your irises
0: mm-hmm. as you
1: walk by, and uh, they can find you. They know where you are, and this also is used for like personal ads. Like when he walks yes. into a gap. They say, hello, Mr. Anderton, how would you like to buy some?
0: <laughs> yes, I love that. I thought it was so funny because it's like, it's personalized ads for you. And then like back in 2002, were we on Facebook yet in 2002? No. No. So that whole that whole concept of like personalized ads wasn't really
1: well, part was of Well, it our... started on, on the web a bit. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing I don't understand is, you know, there were like five people walking in. So why did the... He heard his ad and other people heard the uh, ad, I guess.
0: I think maybe. so, yeah. It's okay. like as he's walking through the train station, all the ads pick up his retinal scan. And he can – I don't know how it's possible for only, him to only hear his own.
1: You can cause... probably project sound kind of in a, like a narrow band kind of a thing. So.
0: Yeah, maybe like that. It was actually pretty neat. It was a really cool science fiction idea. So, yeah, so anyway, he has this problem because his eyes –
1: Right. So, well, what happens, so he gets in this car and he drives away into the country and he goes visit this, this old lady.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the old lady is, turns out to be the person who actually created pre-crime by creating the precogs. And she kind of says they were doing some genetic experiments. And this was kind of an accident that they produced these precogs who could uh, be used for pre-crime. Mm-hmm. And then she told about the idea of minority Report. Mm-hmm. And and he's oh right no be, before he he left the police station in the beginning he went to the jail remember mm-hmm. and yep. he asked the guy to show him the report from the three precogs and for
0: I think Agatha was the was the woman's name
1: actually right so the the whole the, we skipped one thing at some at one point when he was inside the was it the temple where the precogs were mm-hmm. Agatha grabbed him. Yeah. And she says, do you see, do you see? And she was showing him images of some other crime,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And he wanted to see what the full recording of that crime was from right. an Agatha. So when he went to the jail, they looked up the crime, they pulled up, you know, they retrieved the, the prisoner from, from, the, from the files and then he looked at the recordings and the two pre cogs were there, but Agatha, Agatha's recording was missing.
0: Right. So they had the, the report as they saw it, but nothing from Agatha.
1: Right. So when he went to talk to this lady who started the old lady who started the pre-crime stuff, she told him there's always, my, they, they, sometimes there's a minority, minority report and they don't record that because they don't want to, sh- you know, basically show people that pre-crime doesn't work. Potentially, mm-hmm. and they're putting innocent people in jail, so they erase it. it says, but it's inside Agatha,
0: right? What so it, the it, minority part in the store in the movie has the same kind of concept of the two of the precogs agree on one thing, one disagrees, so they take right. the majority and discard right. the minority. So yeah, so she's like, you know, the the techs are trained to just basically delete that, and
1: the system is built to delete it, but it's right. a, it's inside the precog. So, so he has to go back and retrieve it,
0: right? So he's like, "I must. There must be a minority report for me because I'm being set up, and I would never murder this person. I don't know."
1: Right, but he has this problem with his eyes. Yeah. So there's this whole (laughs) detour into him getting his eyes replaced, and it's gross. (laughs)
0: That's so gross. This is part of the movie where I'm like, some of the wasted time occurs here. Like, I had to watch Tom Cruise eat a moldy sandwich. I did right. I have to watch Tom Cruise eat a Moldy Sandwich. And,
1: and sit sitting the, in the in the tub full of eyes. And,
0: yeah, and, I mean, there's some cool. So they, so he gets his eyes replaced. Basically, he gets um, a different, a different person's eyes, but he keeps his old eyes in a bag, which <laughs> <laughs> is so bizarre. It's interesting because they, this is like when they're searching for him, they think he's going to be in these kind of slum areas hiding out. So they send these little machines they call spiders into the building and the spiders crawl around and And find each person and scan their eyes. Right. And uh, they find him, but since he has new eyes, he survives his little scan. Right. That's, that's what happens with that. But it's kind of interesting.
1: It's interesting that they had like a bad section of the town in the, in the movie or also in the book, there was a bad section of town where he was hiding out. Yeah. So anyway, he got his new eyes and he has to go back to get, uh, find out if Agatha has the thing. So, when he tries to get into the police building, he has to use a retinal scan on the entrance. So he pulls out his old eyes from his pocket. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then I had to watch Tom Cruise drop his old eyes on the ground and have to chase them down a hallway because they rolled away. And I'm not kidding. That was actually a scene in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but then also, that's I'm like, he's the ex-police, or he's the ex-police officer who's being hunted why would his retinal scan still allow him into the building? Certainly they would have made it so he wouldn't be able to get in.
1: Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about this. That's like basic security, right? Yeah. When you, when you fire somebody, you disable their IDs. Right.
0: Exactly. Well,
1: you know, the technicalities, technicalities.
0: Oh. oh, so anyway, he gets in and he goes to the temple and he gets the,
1: uh, he gets Agatha. Yeah. And he basically takes it with him.
0: Yeah. He flushes them down a tube. <laughs> right, which right. seemed like a very bad security thing to have. They have this like where the precogs are in the pool. There's like a drain in the middle that a you big can, drain
1: like, that fits people. Too. That
0: fits people. On what circumstance would you ever have to flush the precogs? <laughs> <laughs> so he f- presses the flush button and he goes down with Agatha and he gets away. And uh,
1: so then he goes to find his friend, uh, a hacker, to try to connect Agatha to to some computer or something mm-hmm. so they can read out her. Uh, reports. Right. Right. So they do that and they he discovers that for his crime there is no minor report. Right. He kills the person. So he's kinda all taken aback. But then she goes to this older crime for which the other her report did not exist and he sees it and he records Mm -hmm.
0: it. right? Right. So that was the murder of Anne Lively, who was a woman who was drowned. Right. And her murderer or her would be murderer because she didn't actually die. Her would-be murderer is in prison. And, um, but... No, she, she did die. She, well, well, as far as they know, she's missing.
1: Okay. So
0: the, the would-be murderer was arrested and is in prison. So the would-be murderer didn't murder her. The, right. the John Doe didn't murder her. But she herself is missing. It's unknown where she is. Right. So, but he sees Agatha's vision of the murder and right. records it. But we don't find out yet what it is that Agatha. Right. Well, the next, the next stuff um, that he winds
1: winds up uh, escaping Agatha Mm -hmm. to his house to to his estranged wife's house.
0: Right. uh, Lara. Lara. Which why not just call her Lisa? Her name in the book was Lisa. Why? I know. (laughs) All the precogs' names are different too, and that I don't understand. I don't see what the issue was, but alas. So, yeah, he brings Agatha to Lara's house. Agatha does this, like, weird, like, I'm predicting the future, but talking to you thing, where she, like, does this, like, alternative timeline of what their son's life would have been like if he didn't...
1: Right, right, right.
0: ...die, which I'm like, that's not very nice of you, Agatha, to do that. And this is also when John sort of starts to put together that there's something important about that Anne Lively murder that Agatha keeps showing him. Right. And keeps talking about. Because he didn't I don't think he watched to the end of it.
1: Right, maybe not, yeah. And then at one point he goes to the place where he was supposed to kill the Leo Crow, right? So how does he get there?
0: Oh, that's before he goes to his wife's house, yeah. So after he after he watches Agatha's visions at the Cyberpunk studio, right. he goes he goes to the hotel where he's supposed to kill Leo Crow. Well, and I think she, that what, what, they
1: do, what they're doing is like he's walking around; he's trying to escape, right? Because they they trace him down to the hacker studio, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and there's this this scene with the balloons was so kind of cute.
0: Yeah, so like that was the, the what I was talking about before in terms of like this is like the anti serendipity button where it's like she's because she's able to predict the very near future, she's able to de- describe to him how to successfully evade the right. police. And like how to hide behind them in with balloons, how to, you know, set certain traps and things like that to grab an umbrella, to be able to hide with the umbrella in the rain, stuff like that. And uh, that was really, that was a really nice scene. I liked that a lot.
1: So then he sees an image that he saw in the prevision of his murder, right? Right. Like a poster with a guy Mm
0: -hmm. being
1: lifted. So he realizes that's the building where Leo Crow lives. So he goes in. Uh, with Agatha still, and and he says, "Is Leo Crow here?" It's a hotel, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes to the desk, and basically, yells at the guy, points a gun at him, and he tells him which apartment the guy is in. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so, so when he, he goes gets upstairs. It. Yeah, to
1: so go upstairs, he gets into the apartment. It's empty. There's a bed with photos of children all over the bed.
0: It's hundreds of photos of children just yeah. laid out all over the bed. And what do you know? There's photos of his son. With his this guy. Poor missing son with this right. guy. And he, you know, begins to piece together that this guy...
1: Must have killed his son, so right. naturally he's going to kill him.
0: Right. And the whole time, uh, Agatha's like, you have a choice. You don't have to do it. You have a choice. It's not predestined. You can... your will is stronger than the, the prediction. Fight the science yeah. fiction trope. And... <laughs> Uh, and then Leo Crow comes in
1: and the funny and... thing is he doesn't run out. Like if I came into hmm. an apartment and, and there's a guy that I didn't expect and he has a gun, uh, I would just run out, but
0: yeah, this is a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be like, who you, I'd be like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Leo Crow comes in, they have a, like a back and forth. And John's like, you killed my son prepare to die. And Leo Crowe's like, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I took him and I, I bought him a pretzel and, you know, he, it was yeah. great. And then I like dumped his body somewhere. You know, he's dead. And John's about to kill him. And Agatha keeps saying, you know, you don't have to do this. You have a choice. And John decides not to okay. kill him.
1: He's going to arrest him. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the guy, says you were supposed to kill me if you don't kill me my family's not going to get any money
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, from the brief conversation you kind of realize that somebody set this up mm-hmm. right and uh, the guy wanted to be dead so he could they kind of he grabbed the gun and they started tuss- you know tussling back and forth and the gun goes off and the guy gets killed
0: mm-hmm. and he dramatically falls out the window so everybody right. now knows that a murder happened in People on the street immediately start screaming, "Murder! Murder!" <laughs> Instead of thinking like maybe he fell, it was like, "No, it was murder." So again, the precogs—not wrong, <laughs> not exactly right, but not yep. wrong. It happened just as they as they saw. So then he escapes to his wife's house, and while he's at his wife's house, Whitwer, our good friend Whitwer, is. Uh, analyzing the crime scene of the Leo Crow murder. And he looks around and he's like, this looks like a setup. He looks around, he's like, these like nobody lays out pictures of all their victims on the bed like this for like other right. people to find. Right. And like this is like too this is too much like a setup. So what we're starting to put together that something well, is up.
1: So what what happened before though, it's like when he went to his wife's house, she had called the uh, Burgess to tell him that he was there. And they send the police and finally they grabbed him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And he went to jail. They put the little uh, device on his head and, and he went to jail.
0: Mm-hmm. And so Whitworth kind of piecing together that something is awry. So,
1: yeah, Leo Burgess and, and and Whitworth are at John's apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, he's trying to piece this together. And Burgess, the old, the old guy, says, oh, look, here I have the gun of... Uh, John Anderton, and kills Whitworth with it. Mm-hmm. So he, he pins that murder on on, on uh, John.
0: Yes. And what's important about that scene is that that's when Whitworth is starting to put together for the audience why the Anne Lively murder, the Anne Lively drowning is so important. Right. And it's important because if you look at the majority report, it's one murder. But if you look closely at the minority report, which was Agatha's vision, it's actually a different murder at a different time. Right. And so what happened that what happened, what Whitworth proposes is that the first murder never occurred because it was going to, but it was stopped by pre-crime. But then someone else actually murdered her by drowning her in a very similar way. That was the other person was going to. And because the two things look so similar, the minority report looked just like a an echo
1: called Echo, right?
0: Yeah, an echo of the other one, and so was deleted, and so the murder went unprosecuted.
1: Well, now, now somehow, when when John was talking to his wife, he told her about this story and told her that the woman was drowned in this report, and so she knew that the unlively was drowned.
0: Right. Exactly. So, so then, yeah. what's the So next then, time?
1: Lara goes to see John uh, uh, Burgess, right, to talk to him. Mm-hmm. about John, I guess, and about pre-crime and about he's he's about to receive some award, so he's getting ready for his big press conference. Mm-hmm. And they're talking, she mentions that, that John was talking about this murder of Unlively, and uh, uh, Burgess says, well, I don't know, who cares about some random drowning? And she says, mm-hmm. well, I, did, I didn't say drowning, right? So he says, well, we'll talk about this later, and he goes off to his press conference.
0: Right. And it was also, it was revealed just before John Anderton was arrested that Anne Lively was Agatha's mother. Right. And she had, um, it was just that she was Agatha's mother. So then Burgess goes to this press conference slash awards ceremony slash dinner. I don't know. It's it's like a bunch of people in fancy outfits in like a dining hall. And he's getting all these accolades and everything like that. And then he gets a phone call.
1: Well, because Lara went to jail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she got John out of jail. She, you know, she had a gun. She took uh, somebody's gun and went to the guy who controlled the jail and got John out of jail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she had the recording of mm-hmm. the of that man of the report of Enlavedi's murder. So then, all of a sudden, the Burgess gets a phone call, and it's John. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Whoopsie doodle.
1: Whoopsie doodle. <laughs>
0: And finally, John Anderton puts the plot together for us and explains that Anne Lively had been uh, an addict. Oh, there's a fake drug in this universe. It's like neuramine or something.
1: Right. So Neuroin.
0: Right. So it's some kind of heroin knockoff drug. So the reason that the precogs were born with these special abilities was because they were actually brain damaged from having been children of drug addicts. Right. It was in within this universe. And... That Ann Lively had been a drug addict, uh, but after having Agatha, had cleaned up and wanted custody back. Right. And without Agatha, the whole precog pre crime thing would not work. Right. And so Burgess hired someone to drown Ann Lively. That person was arrested, and once that person was arrested and cleared out of there by the pre crime unit, Burgess himself appeared in dressed the same way. And drowned Anne Lively himself, right? Uh, so she would not go to the court and try to get custody back of her child. <laughs>
1: Which so it's yeah. it's at the end there. So he one of the awards that he gets before this whole thing is revealed is like a little gun with some uh, bullets. Mm-hmm. Basically, John uh, sends the. Vision of Agatha onto this big screen, so everybody else can see it. And Burgess realizes it's his time is up, and he runs away. And John chases him throughout the building. And at one point, one of the precogs has a vi- the the precogs are having another vision of of uh, what seems like the Burgess killing John,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And because he says, "I'm sorry, John," then you hear a gunshot, and that's all you mm-hmm. see. And then you get this last scene where. Burgess faces uh, John, and John says, "Look, you know the precox said that you're going to kill me, so you have a choice. You can kill me, and that shows that pre-crime works. But then you go to jail, or if you don't kill me, that shows that pre-crime does not work, and it's going to get shut down."
0: Mm-hmm. So Sorry. they just took the whole plot of like the short story and just slipped it in there, right? Right, right at the end. So oh, right here's the source material.
1: But there was still. <laughs> So they kind of got together. You can see the gun go off and then you realize that Burgess killed himself instead of killing John. Right. And now everybody's happy. Uh, <laughs> pre-crime, so they say pre-crime shutdown because...
0: All the because, people in jail were magically pardoned and right. uh, sent home.
1: And the last scene is of uh, John with his wife. They reunited and she's pregnant. So they're going to have another child
0: mm-hmm yeah and so that's the movie <laughs> <laughs> not as good as the story I mean so I guess we could get to kind of comparing them I guess my my I have let I me mean, look at my my notes about my variety of issues with the movie um I mean the movie has a lot of cool ideas we went over a lot of the science fiction concepts yeah I think we actually hit on all the science fiction concepts that were in there it looks really good I like a lot of the expansion that they did in terms of get, giving it a more definitive setting, a more realistic kind of size. Cause this is not the kind of thing that one person could run in the whole country. Right. Right. Like giving it like this is happening in DC and this is how we're doing it in this area. Makes sense. So I liked a lot of that. The visuals, uh, the visual storytelling was really good a lot of the time and right. helped you, helped you understand the science fiction concept. I felt the action movie stuff was just unnecessary. Just a felt, little
1: bit too much. It's yeah. like, you know, the, the car chasing was kind of, eh. The, the mm-hmm. whole ice replacement, they could have left that all out. That was, that was really annoying. Although the ice scanning technology for finding it was kind of interesting. But.
0: I don't understand why they couldn't just, I mean, there's like a hundred different ways you could get around it, right? You could make like a magical mechanical contact that blocks the scanner or something, you know, like you could. Yeah. I, I think what, reason, what about sunglasses? Right, I mean, I think the reason they did that really was so that he would be high so that he would have the vision of his of how he lost his son Jason, so we could find out that really vital backstory that he has a good reason to not like murder, which again, I think I think all of that could be left out. he didn't need any of that Jason stuff at all, not Jason, I'm sorry, something that something Sean uh, there's right. a video game where the main character loses their son, Jason. that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was quite a bit of of lost time. But I, I, I think my bigger issue with the movie is that I, I kind of don't get its point. Like, it's it seems to – the ending is pre-crime is over now.
1: Right. I think the, the kind of larger point is that pre-crime is bad, right? So, in other words, it seems unjust that you should be jailing people before they commit a crime. So <sighs> –
0: I mean, yes, except that it worked so well in the universe. Well, but I mean... That's yeah, the problem. It,
1: again, it works. If, if you put everyone in jail, then there'll be no crime, right? So, But that's not necessarily just.
0: Well, but they weren't putting everyone in jail. They only right, had 1, I mean, th- They only had 1,009 cases. He was the 1,009th case in a five-year period. Do you know how many murders there are in D.C.? There are way more murders than that in D.C. <laughs> that's <laughs> a low murder rate. But, you know... It's, they they weren't they had a rather small number of people in this like stasis jail because the story gave us the fact that it was one hundred percent effective. It's very hard to say you only no, have no. one or the other. You have
1: that's, that's the whole point of the minority minor report is that it shows you that it could be wrong, right? So you could
0: it could put be people wrong. in jail
1: who could not who, who would not have committed the crime.
0: That's true. It could be wrong, but it's also right for 100% of murders, right? Because there's no more murders happening. So of the people, let's say you have like, you have a thousand people in there. Maybe you were wrong about 50 of them or whatever, but all of the other murders that were going to happen in right. DC were stopped.
1: Right. But the point is that it's not just to be punished for something you haven't done yet. I think that was the point. And that, I think that's why kind of, uh... It, kind, it it comes back to the question of free will, right? So if, you, if the precogs say you're going to do something, are you really going to do something or, or mm-hmm. maybe not, right?
0: Well, that's the interesting thing because I think the story raises that question right sufficiently. But I don't know what the movie does because like, basically when it comes to the, the two premonitions that we get from the precogs that matter are the killing of Leo Crow, mm-hmm. which the precogs didn't, they weren't wrong. They were correct that John Anderton would kill Leo Crow. That was right. correct. It just wasn't mm-hmm. a murder. He right. it, it killed him, but it, was a, it wasn't what we would consider a premeditated murder. But they were not incorrect. So that was right. Mm-hmm. And the only one they were wrong about then was Burgess at the end. Right. So, and we don't know if there was a minority report in that situation or if Burgess being informed of what he was going to do then chose differently, you know, it's like, but which is kind of the inverse of what happens in the books where Anderton chooses differently to save pre-crime. Burgess chooses differently to end pre-crime. Right. But Burgess chooses differently to end pre-crime with no evidence that pre-crime is wrong. (laughs) You know, what he has is evidence that he, he scammed the system because he knew how it worked. That doesn't mean the system didn't work. There was someone else who was going to kill Anne Lively, who was hired to kill Anne Lively, who was stopped. He just took advantage of that and killed her in a very similar fashion, in a sneaky way. But right,
1: I, I... well, I mean, he killed her so that he knew that the precogs would see it, but he he knew that people who looked at the uh, reports from precogs would would mistake it for, right. for something. So I can't, I don't,
0: for... I don't quite see how the movie.
1: Well, I, I don't think the movie is trying to get very deeply into it. I think if you think, if you like on the first cut, you, you say you shouldn't be punished for crimes you haven't committed, right? So that seems correct, and it seems kind of incorrect to be punished for crimes you have not yet committed. Mm-hmm. So that's a kind of basic intuition. So I think that's just the movie goes with that. Whereas the story, he 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 twists it around. He says no, it's you know, the pre see you do it you go to jail
0: right <laughs> go to jail go directly to jail yeah i mean it It does get back into that kind of fate thing like we had with um arrival and story of your life uh um, right
1: and it's in general it's like the question of of uh, how predetermined predetermined is your future right mm-hmm. so in story of your life basically you could actually it was totally predetermined and you could you could actually know the whole thing and you would just go through it and it would happen mm-hmm. and here he plays with the, the, the issue a bit, right?
0: And I mean, I like that concept. I like, what I'm interested in with pre-crime, both in the story and in the movie, is the fact that it just seems to be, like, used incorrectly, pretty much. And what I mean by that is, like, you can, if we had this kind of system, if we had precogs that could predict crime that was going to happen, you could do it, you could use it in a much more just fashion. You don't have to go arrest the person a week before they've Taken no steps to commit the crime. Just set up your police force and arrest them after they've taken steps to commit the crime, and then you already have a charge. We have a charge for that in real life. It's called attempted X, right? Attempted murder, attempted burglary, attempted theft, attempted whatever. Right. Is a fa- it's the, and it's the same level as the actual felony you're trying to commit. Just because we stopped you in the middle of it doesn't make right. it right. Like help
1: like really. if you look at, at like at the first the opening of the movie, right? They they basically stop the murder ha- from happening within minutes, within seconds before when it started, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So it's okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think the other indica- other implication of the story and the movie to an extent is that if you tell someone that they're going to commit a murder or they're going to commit a crime, they may very well, cho- they have the ability to choose not to.
1: Right. So you, you say there is, a f- there is free will or you can right. you know, shift to a different timeline.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> can go to a different multiverse. right? Uh, but yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that would be a much more um, amenable way to do it. Like, say, for example, you had precogs that like predicted, you know, a bunch of teenagers were going to come in and shoplift from your store. Mm. You know, okay, you tell the security at the store. And then when the teenagers walk in, you stop them and you say, hey, we know you're coming in here to shoplift. We're watching you. Don't shoplift because we're going to arrest you. Those teenagers mm. are going to leave. You know, they're not going to shoplift. You're going to follow them around and watch them so they don't shoplift. That that would be the way pre crime would be the most useful, not just arresting them and mm. convict. So I think it's mo- I think more the punishment is the issue than the use of pre crime in these hypotheticals.
1: Well, the punishment here was pretty drastic, right?
0: Yeah. Well, we never found out what exactly was happening in the prisons.
1: Right. You 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 were put into like suspended animation or something. Right.
0: But it doesn't. They never. I thought they were going to show us, but they never never really get to it so, so I mean, ultimately i think the movie kind of misses though like kind of the point like the minority like it's called minority report but the movie has very little to do with yeah there was report. no
1: more there was no, no right you know I, well i guess the alice lively murder had this third report it
0: wasn't it was a wasn't minority it. report though. It was just a Correct. different murder right <laughs> so I, it, it's kind of like they took some of the concepts, but they like ultimately missed the kind of the whole point.
1: Yeah. Well, kind (laughs) of technicalities, technicalities.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's look at some of the other things. Uh, we've hit on a number of these things already.
1: So no, so I was just going to mention there, there are people who have tried to build systems based on machine learning,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um, to try to predict if people, um, you know, uh, let's say, I'm likely to commit more crimes after. Mm-hmm. So the, what they did, they took statistics of people who have committed crimes who have been in jail mm-hmm. and fed them to the system as a model and then try to find correlations to predict. And of course, it was t- terribly, terribly prejudiced because you only had data from people who were already in jail for something mm-hmm. or other. And, and basically, I know the one or two systems that were tried like that, they were shut down because they were
0: mm-hmm.
1: extremely prejudicial, you know.
0: So we actually have kind of a system like that in Jersey. Um, it's to, so, so what people might not know, most of the states in the United States have cash bail. So when you're arrested for a crime, the judge sets some kind of bail, you have to post some kind of money to get out of jail. It's right. supposed to give you an incentive to keep coming back to court because you've got money on the line. That would work if all the people who were arrested had any money on the line at all or had any money to give. But if you're homeless and poverty-stricken, you know you shoplift and your bail is $500, you don't have $500 to post. And those people end up just sitting in jail the whole time. So it ends up becoming like a debtor's prison. Mm -hmm. Uh, Washington, D.C. actually was one of the first areas to start um, what they referred to as criminal justice reform, which is basically a different system. And New Jersey copied that system. And so we have it now where we don't have cash bail anymore. We pretty much have an algorithm where we calculate someone's risk factors. And it's based on a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. but based, and then the judge has to determine basically whether the person gets held pending their case or whether they get released with some level of conditions where they have to report. Sometimes they have to wear an ankle bracelet. They can't have contact with certain people. Um, Sometimes they're on home detention, you know, depending on what the crime is and what their history is. And, That's based on studies of recidivism rates and things that are indicators like past behaviors that are indicators of future behaviors. So for example, if you spent 14 or more days in custody, your recidivism rate jumps for some reason. If you've been in custody for two or more weeks for an extended period of time, your likelihood of being re-arrested, your likelihood of committing a new offense uh, drastically increases. And so like, that's something that's taken into consideration. If you have a history of not showing up for court, that makes Mm -hmm. you more of a flight risk because you've shown before that you don't show up. So now we're considering that in the future. You're not going to, and it kind of, it's used to predict how someone's going to respond to having a pending case Mm -hmm. and to give them an appropriate level of supervision and it assumes certain people should be held. So if you're charged with a murder, you're not going home. Yes, you're sitting right. in, you're staying in jail. But if you're charged with a shoplifting or burglary or some dinky little offense, you know, you'll know you get on some kind of release. But if you keep shoplifting, if you've got two, three, four shopliftings, then the court will hold you. Right. you know? And it's kind of, it's, they're trying to base it on behaviors. They do also calculate in age because older people are more likely to show up to court than younger people. Cause these damn kids don't come to their court dates. right? <laughs> <laughs> so it is kind of like, it, it is a system that is trying to predict behavior in a criminal setting, not necessarily criminal behavior, but behavior of someone who's in the mm. criminal justice system. So it's, a, it's definitely interesting. Um,
1: well, you could, you could ask, is that just, so should we be treating people differently? a particular crime you know
0: i mean that's when you, you get against this whole question of you're innocent you're presumed innocent until proven guilty on the one hand uh-huh. on the other hand if you know a, a lot of the cases are pretty clear cut i think the majority of cases are pretty clear cut it's a lot of people are overcharged but there's usually something that we're dealing with something happened somebody called the cops somebody got arrested something happened and we have to handle it and we can't pretend something didn't happen. Right. So, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty before a jury, but a court can order you to do basically anything. If the court determined i mean the courts order people i mean that they used to set bail based on the type of crime too
1: right i think you know if, if it's up to a judge I, I think it's probably okay because then you can and the judge has enough flexibility to deal with the
0: mm-hmm.
1: to issue a judgment you know
0: <laughs> exactly but it's funny because when i debate with my um, my adversaries across the table in the criminal court context i'm constantly saying that this isn't the minority report we can't predict what's gonna happen because a lot of times people will say like oh well you know he's he's done it once he's gonna do it again or he did it this time he must have done it before and it's like no right. you can't you can't make that assumption you're not allowed to right. make that assumption about people and you can't right. you know give me a resolution to a case now based on what you think will happen down the line. You have to right. give me the resolution to this case. So it's definitely interesting. I, I cite to the minority report a lot <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's pretty funny do you want to talk about women in this story in the movie
0: oh yeah so let's talk about the women in the story uh not a lot not great no um so in the on un- in the source material in the short story the only woman is Lisa the wife right, right. and she's just described as being like young and like a trophy wife and it's kind of implied that she slept her way up to get her position because she was originally Anderton's secretary and then she became a police officer after they got married. Mm. So it's kind of like not a great implication. And Anderton doesn't seem to like her very much.
1: <laughs> well, he suspects her, but ultimately you know, she she proves that she's uh, on his side and then she goes with him to the outer world. So yeah.
0: yeah, but it's very strange. It's a very strange relationship. In the movie, there's a few more women. I think there's three so there's the, well, there's
1: La- lara his wife lara
0: the two. ex-wife who has the role of being the ex-wife there's the old lady with the plants um right. who's in the... one scene did you notice in that scene with him she gives she kisses him yeah what was that about though <laughs> oh, you know where else is a the woman there's um when he goes to get his eyes replaced
1: Right. There's a nice Russian nurse.
0: Yeah. There's the <laughs> nurse and she grabs his butt. I don't know what it is with people touching Tom Cruise inappropriately well, during this Tom, movie.
1: He's Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's very inappropriate. These women, what they're doing. The plant lady was okay. She was
1: That was an interesting twist. Yeah. And, and yeah. with all the crazy plants around her. I
0: don't know why she had the crazy plants, but.
1: Well, she had genetic engineering and stuff. So.
0: Yeah. And then there was, um, of course, Agatha who. Right. There's this, there's this pattern in science fiction and fantasy, and I'm interested in it, and I haven't gotten to really read up about it. I'm sure somebody's written about it before. But there's this very common pattern of, like, psychic slash magical girls, where, like, oh. a lot of science fiction and fantasy include fe- young female characters whose, whose power and agency is entirely through some kind of psychic or magical thing witches exactly yeah witches are a great example yeah and it there is not a similar pattern for boys there's not a magical boy pattern and um it's it's definitely interesting you know there's a and agatha fits into that right so you have tom cruise who's strong and fights and jumps on cars and shoots and whatever and agatha the whole time is like crouched next to him in like a ball and like can't stand up straight on her own, but she's right. like psychic. Ooh, you know, <laughs> fancy psychic. Ah, you know, the most talented of the psychics. You know, because the other two precogs are male and right, right. we barely see them at all because she's, she's the most powerful. She's the most talented. Without her, the whole thing falls apart. You need the magical psychic girl. So it's interesting to see that pattern kind of played with here. I mean, there wasn't really anything the movie didn't say anything about women. It just kind of yeah, there, were,
1: there were a couple of women cops that chased him also. So.
0: Yeah. Are there any like big overarching themes?
1: Well, it's the question of, of, you know, free will or predetermination mm-hmm. or, or, but we, we kind of talked about that.
0: It's kind of, I guess the last thing we can talk about is it's kind of an interesting take on it. Or it has the same kind of paradoxical issue as like a time travel story. Right. right.
1: That, that's where, why like, I said it's similar yeah. to a uh, arrival where you kind of know your future, mm-hmm. except in this case, the future can still be somehow changed. You still have a choice, right? As as Agatha right. says, yeah.
0: Well, to an extent, I mean, John Anderton in the movie would never have ended up in a situation to kill Leo Crow if he hadn't seen the vision of him killing Leo Crow. Right. And that's a very common loop made inside in, in um, time travel, time loop stories. So it's a little bit different than what happened in this the short story because there's three different versions of the future in the short story. Right. It's kind of similar. But okay, so you want to wrap up?
1: Yeah, let's wrap up. So
0: So that was Minority Report. If you were to listen to our, our podcast versus the movie, um, if you were watching the movie, you'd have at least another hour to go. On the movie <laughs> it's quite long but the the story is good the story is a quick read and i would definitely suggest that i've read it a couple of times now i think it's a good mm-hmm. little short story so hopefully we had some kind of insights <laughs> into it <laughs> what do so, you think is the plan next
1: so i think next time we're going to the time machine by h.g wells right mm-hmm. and we can also watch the movie there was a movie there's several movies from that book, but the the best one was done in, in the '60s. I think we should mm. watch that one.
0: I think I've watched it before. I know I've read time. I read Time Machine in high school, so it's been a long time. I vaguely remember the plot, but I think I might have seen.
1: Probably, it's the movie. It's, it's, it's. I've seen the movie a few times, and I've read the story a few times. So I'll be happy to read it again.
0: Yeah, yeah. So next time we'll be doing Time Machine, maybe some other time related. Stories after that, since we were starting to collect time loop like stories. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us here on History in Reverse. Uh, My name is Caroline, and this was a podcast with me and my father, Richie. Signing off now. Bye.
1: See you next time. Okay, we have two mm-hmm. hours to record.
0: Okay. <laughs> we have a lot of notes, though. <laughs> uh, let me just close a couple, and I have to not click on my mouse because my mouse makes noise. makes terrible, terrible noise. Yeah,
1: I actually switched to different chair because otherwise my other chair squeaks.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the, the sound – yeah, I've learned how to use my little mouse pad to, mm-hmm. like, very gently flip between things because the first podcast – that Jen and I recorded. I was using this one, and it's like mm-hmm. click, 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 <laughs> and the whole podcast was just clicks. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to kill myself! I can't believe I had so many clicks on. It. Um, so what I was thinking in terms of this one is the the two are so divergent; it's right. it would be hard. Like with Arrival, we kind of talked about both the book and the plot simultaneously, the book and the movie simultaneously. Um, I was thinking, Minority Report. The story is really short, so maybe right. we should talk through like the story that'll right. take like, fifteen minutes, right? And then talk about the movie and its different differences mm-hmm. and and because it kind of like missed the whole point.
1: Well, it didn't miss the whole point. They just kind of pick, pick pulled some ideas
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, um, the well, uh, the ending kind of. They kind of converged slightly at the end, but yeah, slightly. Like
0: it, yeah. It was, it was not bad, but it was not good.
1: <laughs> well, it was, was different. It's, uh, what I've always found kind of amusing about these is that, um, in the story, he always, he, he, the hero works to save pre-crime, right? He,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he, he, to the point where he's willing to, to murder somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. right
1: because he thinks pre-crime is good
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the movie pre-crime is bad so they mm-hmm. want to kill it at the end right? yeah
0: anyway. which is very interesting because you can't you can't argue given the facts of the story that pre-crime is bad because the murder rate dropped to zero
1: well you can you can we'll, we'll argue
0: yeah <laughs> okay